Good day, my EOS friends. Welcome to the EOS podcast. Today I have Daniel from EOS Metal. We're going to get into what's new with EOS, what's going on with EOS Metal, and uh, Daniel's a founder there. So, uh, Daniel, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, thanks. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Daniel Lazor. I'm one of the founding partners of EOS Metal. Uh, we're proud to be part of the original launch group for EOS Mainnet, uh, as well as supporters of a couple other chains like uh, Warbly. Uh, we're an active block producer for them, uh, which should be launching very soon, just a couple days away, as well as uh, Telos. So lots going on right now. Wow. Yeah, cool. That That's exciting. Warbly and, and Telos, both exciting projects. That That's good that, uh, that you're working on all the sister chains as well. It's going to be, that's one of my favorite things about what's going on in EOS right now is this, how people started to embrace the sister chain concept and people are starting to understand it and there's not necessarily this heavy competition. There's more of a, um, like how, how you're doing it. You're, you're supporting all the chains. That's cool. So um, yeah, and that's uh, that's something I really like to highlight too, because I think when, uh, especially when Telos came out, because it was one of the first to really announce and, and kind of formally start a, a big project, um, there was a, a bit of misunderstanding about where it would position itself compared to EOS Mainnet, and, and some people saw it as direct competition. I think uh, from our perspective, you know, we're you know we still call ourselves EOS Metal regardless of what chain we're supporting because we see it as EOSIO, and our long game and what we're looking forward to in the future of EOS is actually uh, those sister chains and how uh, Dan has a future of this large matrix of EOS-based chains that will all work together with IBC, uh, and we really want to position ourselves as an infrastructure expert for those. So that's a big part of why we're supporting both of those sister chains now and uh, actually in talks with a couple others and hopefully are coming up as well yeah you know and that makes sense for um, for it seems like there's gonna be a lot of opportunity out there for block producers uh, to as EOS grows there's gonna be exponentially more opportunities for block producers to step in and produce blocks on all these sister chains that pop up along the way and I think Warbly is a great example um, and so yeah that, that's a, that's a good approach you guys have there um, you know, when Talos first came out, it did seem a little bit more it, like it seemed more adversarial, even even to me who was expecting sister chains coming. But there was kind of these different ways that the EOS mainnet launched that they were kind of fixing, or you know. So it seemed that started it off a little bit kind um, with a different feel. But now that Warbly's come along and got people in the mindset of what a sister chain is, now Talos makes more sense, I think. So. Um, yeah, when, when we first uh, got approached about Telos, um, we were actually uh, approached by them before they were announced, uh, partially because of the work we did on the original mainnet uh, launch group. And uh, they saw what we did, they saw our philosophy, and uh, we were happy to be you know, approached by them as a potential, uh, not just uh, block producer, but partner. The reason we decided to join was largely because they were interested in moving forward on some ideas that had been discussed on the mainnet, but really uh, didn't take any traction either because it wasn't something that directly came from Block One or Dan Larimer's vision, uh, or it was something that was considered controversial that a lot of block producers on the mainnet didn't want to take a position on. Things like rotating standby VPs uh, through active slots on a regular cadence to make sure they could actually produce blocks. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one of uh, the key features that Telos is using in order to ensure that all the block producers that are registered and accepting votes actually have the network infrastructure needed in order to uh, actually produce blocks, which sadly is a, you know, that's a question for some VPs on the mainnet. So that's just one example, though. There's a number of things that they're trying that um, I'm starting to see conversations now on the mainnet amongst VPs, at least, take place about, hey, Telos tried this out. Maybe this is something we should look at for the mainnet. And although I think that's going to take quite a bit of time and, uh, you know, someone like Dan Larimer to sign off on it or show support for it, uh, I'd like to see it head that direction once Telos kind of uh, presents it as something that works. And, and again, that's kind of what excited about us about Telos. They're trying different things. And for us, since, you know, again, our long-term goal is to be a blockchain infrastructure provider uh, and dedicated to being experts in that space, Telos also gave us a chance to basically do a launch group for the second time on EOSIO. So by being part of that group and also Warbly, we're one of, you know, only a few BPs that can claim we have experience now launching EOS for three separate blockchains. That includes the test nets, uh, you know, stage testing, uh, organizing different uh, uh, launch styles and security principles. And now as of this week, launching the second chain, which will be Warbly and soon Kilos. So uh, again, that's kind of our big overarching picture and why we're supporting those chains. But we always intend to be focused on mainnet. So, you know, that's that's not a factor for us. The mainnet is still key in terms of our long-term goals, too. Yeah, and as the inner blockchain uh, transfers come through, I think it'll kind of start to be, you know, one big ecosystem as, a, you know, a little bit more separate before we have inner blockchain communication. So um, you mentioned that... Um, Telos has this idea of, of rotating BPs through to produce blocks. And so that, I guess that's twofold because on one end, it's making sure that all the standby BPs are active or that they're ready to produce blocks. But on the other end, from a, from a BP standpoint, uh, it's a chance to earn some rewards. Is that enough rewards to kind of keep them afloat? Is that, is that a, the other end of that? Well, the, the economic model on Telos is quite a bit different. So all the active block producers are paid the same amount. Whereas in mainnet, you know, it's, it's entirely based on your vote. So folks at the top of the active producers are making more than the bottom 21st producer. Same thing as a standby. You can be making um, a wide range of potential rewards. So what Telos does is it gives you a set amount of rewards if you're an active producer and also a set amount of rewards if you're a standby producer up to a certain threshold of producers in order to ensure that everyone's getting enough money to actually function. And there's not quite as uh, a propensity for ruthless competition to get votes. Um, uh, The other thing is the vote weighting on Telos is very different. So uh, you're actually, uh, you get more voting power the more BPs you vote for. I think they call it inverse weighted. So if you only vote for one block producer, your vote does not count for that one block producer as much as it would if it had been one of 30 votes. Yeah. So you're actually incentivized for voting for a full 30 BPs to ensure that, you know, you're putting enough votes out there to represent the network. Because ultimately that's what voting is all about. You want to vote for block producers that are going to ensure you have a robust and stable network. 
so that you have a reliable blockchain. And uh, sometimes voting gets lost in other topics or politics or, or popularity, but at the end of the day, it really is about voting for the block producers that are going to represent the community in the best way for um, you know your actual infrastructure. So voting for a full 30 block producers makes sense for anybody who's voting, since you want to try to establish what those top 21 are that you support, and a couple of extra standbys. And that's a big part, by the way, as to why Dan Larimer's pushing for uh, increasing the cap of voting on the mainnet, mm -hmm. uh, which obviously hasn't gone anywhere yet, but that's something he's been very public about supporting. Uh, there have been talks about upping it to 50 votes per token, uh, or even maybe removing a cap altogether, and just whoever you vote for is who you vote for. Um, sorry, get off on a tangent. There. No, that's 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 the type of stuff that I'm uh, you know that I'm interested in learning, especially about the the differences in the Telos blockchain because I haven't found um, you know I haven't dug real far into it, and I haven't talked to someone about that yet. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in that stuff. I, I know something else that they did was they uh, capped the airdrop at 40,000 EOS. Is that right? So that there's not giant holders within the system? How do you see, is, how do you see that playing out? Right. Um, well, that's an interesting one. And I've talked to token holders that, you know, have over 40,000 that support Telos and those that, you know, are adamant against that idea. Uh, but generally speaking, most of the token holders I've spoken to, either it's no impact to them because they don't have 40,000 EOS as a snapshot, um, since we are basing uh, Telos off the Genesis snapshot. Um, and But by far the voters that do have that many votes or more than 40,000 are still recognizing it as a new economic opportunity. Because at the end of the day, Telos is about you know, you're getting another blockchain with more tokens. It's not like Telos is taking away your EOS or devaluing your EOS. In that effect, it should be considered a sister chain rather than a fork. So even though they're doing uh, effectively what's an airdrop based off the Genesis uh, snapshot of EOS, uh, it's not intended to replace EOS in any way. It's another avenue for developers um, uh, to get applications released. And that's another focus of, of Telos is making sure that the economic model for developers to release dApps is uh, much more incentivized on the Telos network. So the idea is that it would be cheaper for a developer to release a dApp there, and that dApp could still, through IBC, interact with the EOS mainnet without necessarily having to support the expense necessary of using EOS resources based on the number of tokens you need. Okay, so so they're looking at actually kind of being a possibly a host for some DApps because of the cheaper fees, and then right. being and then through inner blockchain communication, be able to be used on on the main net, but kind of being the transaction hosted and put onto the Telos blockchain. Right. So for them, you know, the RAM market is going to be slightly different. Uh, obviously, the token price is going to be completely different. It's going to be you know established by the market probably a safe bet that it'll be less than EOS. Um, you know, that's just a given. Uh, that said, too, the token economics are very different. So even if you had uh, tokens capped at 40K, again, it's in addition to whatever EOS you already have, those aren't going anywhere. So it's free money, and hopefully no one doesn't <laughs> like free money, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, 
because of those token economics, though, uh, the actual tokens and distribution is going to be significantly smaller. Uh, I think estimates are around 330 million right now, and that's if all of the exchanges support Telos. So if you have some drop-off of exchanges that don't end up supporting Telos, that's an additional uh, total token supply that would drop. So the propensity for that token to rise in price is actually a lot higher just because there's so fewer uh, tokens in circulation. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the market plays that out. How's that? Uh, how's the launch shaping up? How, how is that? Uh, how's that looking? And when's it happening? Uh, quite well. Um, I think their original targets for the launch date were a little too aggressive with how much they wanted to bite off. Um, uh, I say that with a bit of a smile because at the same time they're moving lightning fast and they're doing some really cool things. Um, like that example of uh, rotating a BP into the top 21 just to validate that they uh, are functioning BP. Um, that was something that was thought to not be possible because of the latency issues that scheduling would that would be created on the mainnet. And Telos has proven that it is possible and it is stable. So that's, you know, again, there's some pretty exciting things. They took some risks and proved that they actually work rather than just concepts that were rejected from the mainnet, and now they're, they're applying them. But that also means that's custom coding, and it required a lot of testing. So because of that ambition, uh, it's taken a bit longer than their original targets to launch. That said, I know that we are one software release uh, away from actually having a, uh, a go, no go vote to go live. So we're extremely close, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, the one thing I would like to add, if, if you don't mind, I've talked a lot about Telos so far today, but um, I don't want to discredit news of what's going on on the mainnet or, or Warbly. Specifically, Warbly I'd like to highlight because what Warbly's doing and what they've been able to achieve is really, really quite impressive. And anybody who hasn't paid much attention to Warbly, I strongly encourage you to check it out because they, they're coming up with some really revolutionary stuff that I think is going to be, uh, have a dramatic impact on EOS as a whole. Um, and that said, Warbly, I think, is going to be the new model for sidechains going forward. They were able to launch on a much smaller budget than the average blockchain does. They did so with limited resources, but met their dates. Um, uh, and... Uh, they've got a huge amount of backing, huge amount of support for a relatively small team, and that was because they based their chain on EOSIO with small extensions to it. And, and that's why I think they're going to be the model going forward for new sister chains or side chains. So think about, you know, Warbly is a financial chain, but what about what happens if you want something that's focused on healthcare or something that's focused on transportation? You know, you could have utility-focused chains that, you know, like in the case of transportation, I can tell you they're very low bandwidth, but they require very rapid transactions, and they also require very reliable transactions. So, you know, in transportation, when you're dealing with information packets, sometimes it's going from, you know, vehicle to vehicle, the way you might think in a network of device to device, and those transactions need to be very accurate, reliable, and fast, but they don't necessarily contain a lot of data bandwidth. So think about taking EOSIO and now optimizing that for that kind of network infrastructure and operating it as its own chain, even if it interacts now with EOSIO. 
and that transportation chain can also have its own network resources that that chain's token represents the same way Telos has a token, Warbly has a token, and EOS has a token. You know, we always fall into the trap of speculating on the token price, but at the end of the day, when you look at EOSIO, you have to think about it as the network resources that it represents, because that's really how the valuation of that token should be driven beyond speculation. So now imagine that same scenario. You could have a transportation-focused chain. You could have a healthcare-focused chain, a legal-oriented chain. You name the market, you name the industry, and you could have a potential side chain for it. Because with every side chain, you're now increasing dramatically the number of network resources you have, and that creates this beautiful hybrid and matrix of EOS chains that will eventually allow the kind of uh, application support that Dan's talked about in some of his earlier uh, visionary talks about where EOS is going. So, and, and that exactly is why we support all these side chains right now, because that's where we see EOS going in, you know, the next year, two years, where you're going to see this large matrix of uh, EOS-based chains, and those guys all need professional network infrastructure, uh, not your average Bitcoin miners. You know, this could potentially get to the point that you see entire data centers dedicated to EOS-based uh, block production. And, and that's exactly where we've tried to position ourselves. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a huge thought and, and, and that's the grand vision. And so, yeah, you, I think you guys are, you guys are seeing kind of what Dan's seeing as far as all these sister chains going and that, that, Transportation chain is a great example how you used it there with the smaller packets that need to be rapid and really accurate, but don't, you know, aren't necessarily the same way that they don't have a lot of information with them. Um, and that's even, would, would you even say that that could be, you know, not maybe just a transportation chain, but maybe a company specific transportation chain? I mean, if, if we're yeah. possibly talking about self-driving cars, let's say Tesla wanted a, a Tesla chain to run all of their, you know, maybe they'd build one to run all of their automation on or something like that. I mean, yeah, right. it could be. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. I, I always use an analogy of something like a Facebook or a Twitter because most people can recognize just the sheer bandwidth of uh -huh. not just, you know, the yeah, throughput of messages, but also, you know, the intense amount of resources that are needed to drive that application globally. So you can totally have chains that are going to be dedicated to specific um, uh, specific applications just because the sheer size of that application and the number of resources that it uses up would justify its own chain. Now that chain could technically not even have its own token. So let's say you have a side chain that's simply there to add additional resources to EOS, but it's still running on the EOS token because that EOS token is then used through IBC and moves off the main net to this side chain or this sister chain. So just because you have a, a side chain with these additional network resources doesn't necessarily mean you need a token. Generally speaking, most people would want the token though, because that means, you know, a new market for speculation, a new way of managing how those resources are allocated, but it's technically not a hundred percent required. Um, so, you know, different things to think of in different situations. But on that note, if you're thinking, you know, Facebook scale, you know, just, again, sheer bandwidth, it would need its own network effectively. And that could run, I mean, imagine a Facebook token, you know, uh, instead of a, a stock, you're now dealing with a token for a large company. 
they can justify you know that much infrastructure um, and that's even a potential candidate for private infrastructure too mm-hmm. so just because it's private infrastructure doesn't mean that it wouldn't necessarily interact with the US mainland so so yeah I mean that that's a that's even a, another interesting concept is the thought of these private companies coming in building an EOS EOS IO on the software and then interacting with the main chain but keeping their keeping their chain private uh, right wow wow yeah you're going to have all different flavors cuz even warbly in some regard could be considered uh it's kind of a hybrid where yeah. they're using decentralized block producers from a variety of geographic locations, but they aren't having voting to establish those block producers. So Warbly took the stance of selecting block producers like US Metal based on our infrastructure support to make sure that they had a robust network and they didn't have to worry about who was producing blocks for them. So we're on a timed uh, agreement with them basically to provide blocks uh, for you know uh, a renewable contract effectively, and then in the future, Warbly plans to move to a more decentralized model. But their whole approach is okay. Let's start it as what would you know in most circles be considered a private chain, and then as it matures, as it grows, and as we build out the necessary governance to run a true financial chain, uh, then it will become decentralized and go to the traditional voting model that EOS has established. And a big part of why they're doing that is because they're going into the financial sector. So they've got banking partners that they have to keep happy and make sure that, you know, you have things like KYC and you've got, again, responsible block producers from known organizations so that, you know, banks and financial partners are willing to take part in a blockchain that otherwise they might not be able to if it's purely decentralized. So in Warbly's model, they basically are starting private and will grow into decentralized effectively yeah that that, uh, that makes sense and so so as a block producer and having this EOS metal having this bigger vision of supporting all these other change I think you mentioned a little bit earlier but what's what's your infrastructure start to look like what are your kind of grand plans I mean are you I'm that are you essentially looking at data centers that are full of bare metal equipment hosting hundreds of chains somewhere Potentially, that's that's the grand vision. Uh, right now, we are hosting our uh, physical bare metal servers in uh, appropriate data centers because you know there's not enough block production to justify running your own data center. If you think about what makes for professional network infrastructure, you've got to think about things like network latency, uh, bandwidth, um, uh, power redundancy, uh, cooling redundancy. Um, you know, and there's different scales and different um, uh, industry ratings for different levels of data centers. So, you know, those are all factors you have to consider when you're designing an overall infrastructure. You know, it goes way beyond the simple concepts of connecting, you know, a miner to the network and keeping it cool. You know, when you're looking at a professional IT organization, there's a lot more to consider. Um, now, a lot of VPs use cloud computing and they use it successfully. Uh, the reason we're dedicated to bare metal right from the start is that we see that as the natural growth plan. Eventually you're going to hit um, uh, bandwidth, well not bandwidth, I should say uh, initially RAM resources are going to be the big one. You'll run into RAM restrictions on what you can support with the cloud infrastructure. Whereas if you're running your own bare metal hardware, you have the uh, 
uh, potential to expand the hardware you support to a much higher level than you can in a cloud infrastructure. There's, of course, exceptions to that, um, but we believe that a good network has not just decentralization in terms of organizations, but it should be geographically decentralized, and it should also be technologically decentralized. So for us, we chose bare metal, and that's by no means a knock on anybody who's using cloud infrastructure, but we do believe that we should have a lot more variety of infrastructure. I think right now the majority of the top 21 last I checked at least, are running on AWS, as an example, Amazon's hosting. Um, there's a few on Google's hosting. I expect that number to grow with some recent uh, infrastructure updates that Google's added. But what you really want is a healthy mix, because once you have uh, a majority of active block producers running on one solution or another, that's in a way a form of centralization, depending on how you look at it. So let's say Amazon one day gets a cease and desist from the U.S. government because they don't want corporate entities to work with, you know, uh, decentralized blockchains. What's to say that they don't just suddenly cut all those accounts one day? You know, it's a, it's a huge hypothetical. It's unlikely to happen, I agree. But the fact that it's a possibility is something that I think justifies why you want that variety. Uh, we take it a step further beyond um, just decentralizing uh, in terms of wanting more bare metal representation on U.S. metal, we also actually have geographically decentralized servers. So we have some servers in Iceland. Uh, Spain is kind of a hub for our servers just because that's where our core infrastructure team is. We also have servers in France and Germany that represent various uh, servers, backup servers, uh, front-end API nodes, things of that nature. So if at any one point, you know, you have a geopolitical uh, situation happen in the country and they shut down, we actually have infrastructure across borders that will allow us to keep ourselves running. To us, that's kind of the ultimate form of decentralization. That also means that we're not going to be isolated to any one single data center. Um, so that all kind of roots back to your original question. We, we do eventually see that happening, but today it makes a lot more sense for us to run our servers in existing, established, well-run uh, data centers because we can do that cross-borders uh, decentralization effectively. Yeah, that makes sense. I was running a, a Steemit witness node on a server in uh, through Privex in Germany. Um, is that, would that be considered a bare metal server if I'm basically paying for a bare metal server that's somewhere else? Is that I mean, what, what, what's the definition of running a bare metal server versus using the cloud? Right, that's a great question because there's actually a, a whole scale to it. It's not as simple as you either have cloud or you have uh, bare metal because some people would even argue that we're not bare metal because we have our uh, servers in a data center, which means that data center has a layer of control over us. Um, our stance is that's still better than running a server in our basement where we have complete and utter ultimate control because the risks of us having a power outage or having an internet disconnection are far greater than the odds of that data center shutting down a random server. So now you take that example and you go up the scale. So like in your case, it sounds like you're renting physical hardware through a third party. Mm -hmm. So technically that hardware is owned by them and that introduces a new layer. Is it likely they would shut you down and cancel your lease? No. Uh, but with every layer, you start to grow that potential 
chain, and with every link in the chain, that's a potential breaking point. So yeah. from our philosophy, we own our bare metal outright, so the only way that anybody can influence us outside of our own control is if a data center suddenly shut down in a day or canceled our account. But okay. again, that's why we have servers across multiple geopolitical Okay, so yeah, you know, I hadn't I hadn't dug that deep into that little part there, but it's so so a lot of the the when people say bare metal, uh, sometimes it's meaning that they're owning the um, the actual components and then housing them in someone's data center that's taking care of the data center, basically. Okay, um, all right, cool. Well, let's keep right. learning. <laughs> I know it's getting a little noisy behind me. Hopefully, you can still hear me. Okay. Yeah, you're you're coming in all right. I mean, it's it's worth it for the beautiful view and for people who are um, just listening to the podcast version. The little bit of city noise you hear and the sirens every once in a while are. Um, the cityscape that's stunning behind Daniel right now. Where where are you again? Uh, I'm out in Jacksonville, Florida today. Jacksonville, um, yeah. Myself personally, I live in uh, the Los Angeles area in California. Uh, but our team, we're a true dad. So I'm the only guy from the USA. Everybody else is either in Europe or uh, we have uh, someone from India on our team as well. Um, eventually, we want to expand and have representation across more continents as well because. We feel it's important, just like we're talking about our decentralization of servers uh, geographically, we want a truly geographically diverse team as well. So as we grow, we want to hire more people from more locales. Yeah, you know, that's a good idea. It is, it's, such a, it's such a global community. It's one of the really special things about EOS. It's a total game changer. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that's cool. I like, I like the thought of BPs having their own little global communities within the company, too. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing how many miles I'm logging. <laughs> I think I've traveled more these two months than I've traveled in the last uh, two years. Yeah, well, that means they must be doing big things. That's good. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Um, the, so on the data server, because I I'm, I'm, I'm had one more question on this. So, you know, we have this. I possibility of this centralization with a lot of BPs using, let's say, AWS or Google. And as all these sister chains uh, expand, you know, they may be holding a lot of uh, the power to like maybe hundreds of blockchains, let's say, at some point. Do you see that opening a door for a some sort of competitor to AWS or Google where they come in and maybe they're just a cater to the decentralized community and have their, uh, you know, all their systems free of any government control? Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. That's actually one of the models that we're looking forward to in the future. So oh, okay. while we establish ourselves as professionals in the space from you know, a professional IT services perspective, you know, we're not just looking to get involved in uh, you know, a cryptocurrency and try to make money from that cryptocurrency. We really want to specialize in the infrastructure space. So one of the things that potentially come in the future, and we wouldn't necessarily do this as EOS Metal, but it could be a collaborative effort we do with others because even doing it as EOS Metal could be a form of centralization. So we're very respectful of that, that fact. So what I'd like to see in the future is a service like AWS or uh, Google Cloud that's actually more catered to the blockchain space. And that raises a bunch of interesting questions like, well, how do you do that and at the same time maintain decentralization? And my personal opinion is I would like to see something that's similar to a model of like an ADP was for 
the EOSIO launch and what's coming up with Telos. Like in Telos, we have ABPs. There's six of us. We were fortunate enough to be one of them. And none of us know who the ABPs is going to be. It's completely random. So no one person could potentially be an attack vector. So now take that same concept and apply it on a global scale of data centers. Maybe these data centers are running chains and running infrastructure block producers that don't even necessarily know which chain or which block producer they're representing at any one time, and it's cycling. That way you can maintain a data center uh, with an anonymity to the blockchain it's supporting and the individual parties to that blockchain to ensure that it's truly decentralized. Um, those are some very loose ideas. I mean, there's a lot that has to be fleshed out on it, so please don't quote me on it. Hmm. But I like where your mind's at because, you know, the more we rely on large uh, corporate entities like Amazon or Google, um, this is probably a, a very unpopular statement amongst uh, my fellow VPs, but I just don't see decentralization and hosting services from Amazon or Google in the same sense. That's just my personal opinion, and, and it's why we are dedicated to uh, bare metal. Um, and I really want to make sure I state this carefully, that by no means uh, is to say that any of our partner VPs that are running those services is doing the wrong thing. It's just our personal choice because we think it adds another layer of decentralization. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's good you take a stance there because um, every BP has something they're bringing to the system, something they're offering of value, some sort of North Star, and, and that sounds like it's part of your guys' vision. So it's not, uh, yeah, it's, 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 we've got an abundance mentality in EOS. You know, there's enough for everyone to, to do something right. special. So, um, Very good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so is EOS Metal, is that where your name comes from? I mean, is that what EOS Metal is basically part of that vision? Pretty much, um, you know, early on when we were first developing our candidacy well before the mainnet launch, um, we were trying to, you know, make a name for ourselves. We were, we're a relatively quiet team, you know, we're, we're small, self-funded, uh, we've got no outside investors, we didn't have a budget to hire marketing firms or, you know, even have branding experts. We, we had a little branding snafu in our earlier days because we accidentally used something that was trademarked. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're IT guys, you know, we were focused on running good, clean, pure infrastructure and producing uh, blocks in as unbiased a way as possible. And we thought that would resonate well with the voters. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier on in the call, to us, the vote is really about putting your voice behind the network to ensure that it has the most robust infrastructure so that it has the potential to grow both in terms of its value and in terms of how it's utilized. So the vote's important to ensure that that infrastructure is as solid and uh, uh, future-proof as is you're able to. So that's a big part of why we went with the marketing approach we did. Originally, we were going to be something like EOS Spain because that's a hub for our main infrastructure guys. Um, but I, my own personal concern was we might get lost in the mix because so many people were either uh, branding their uh, VPs by the country they were with or by the city they were in. And I thought, well, let's, let's stand out. Let's take a stance about what we are. Really, we're that, so we're not even geographically centralized. And our philosophy was to have that, again, geopolitical decentralization. So we shouldn't talk about geography in the game, and that's why we ultimately went with. US metal. Um, 
I'm not sure how well that hit with the community. Some people get it, and some people seem to not. So, you know, <laughs> but it's our name, and it's become our brand, so we're sticking with it. Yeah, well, it, it is, it's recognizable, you know, and, and it's sticky because it's a little different, and it, with the bare metal servers talked about so much, I think it makes sense. So um, I like it. I like it. Um, what did you say about, uh, you said the word DAT, decentralized, some, what, what is a DAT? You said, you said that. Um, yeah, it's a, a decentralized, uh, I hope I quote this correctly, decentralized autonomous team. So in other okay. words, we're individuals that make up the overall team structure of AOS Metal. Not quite a DAC that's you know, managed by a community vote, but in our case, we're just a decentralized team, effectively. So, you know, I'm in the United States, but by no means is AOS Metal in any way representing U.S. interests. Um, uh, we have a team in Spain, we have a resource in India, and, and as I mentioned, we're actually looking to expand that geographic reach. So at the end of the day, where we ultimately incorporate is kind of uh, superfluous to what we are and what we represent. And that extends to the fact that we want to be as decentralized as we're able to be while working as a block producer and still being identifiable and transparent. So all the founders' names are official, you know, we have our ownership disclosure out there. So even though we're decentralized, we're also entirely transparent. Um, and you can find us on the internet, on LinkedIn, you know, we're real people, uh, and we're looking to do this full time. And uh, uh, you know, transparency and identity are an important part, despite the fact that we consider ourselves uh, decentralized. Yeah, well, make, that, that makes sense. So um, there's Talos and there's Warbly, as far as these sister chains going. Have you caught wind of any other projects out there that are sister chains that are being worked on, or what's the rest of the ecosystem looking like? Um, good question. There's a couple that I've heard of, but we've only started loose discussions with. Um, we're blessed to have a few that approach us, but we haven't made any official commitments to them, so I don't necessarily want to comment on them. I can tell you that there are a couple exciting ones that we're really hoping uh, will get the traction and we think can be game changers to the US. Cool. So, I'll just leave it at that until we have some official announcements. Okay. Well, you know where to come when you've got some official announcements. <laughs> well, well. Do a, I'd love, love to hear about it. Um, what, uh, aside from the sister chains and that going on, what, what's the most exciting thing for you that's going on in EOS right now? Well, there's not a lot of movement on it, but the two areas that I'm really uh, focused on are governance discussions and uh, inter-blockchain communications. Mm -hmm. uh, blockchain communications, specifically because we have this grand vision about the huge matrix of what the US is going to become in the future. Um, so there's an obvious parallel there. Um, I had some interesting conversations with some of the developers from Block One, as well as some of the consultants that Block One used to actually help build out the original EOSIO um, and what they envision for IBC. And I think there's some really exciting stuff coming, but there's also a dire need for the community to get deeply involved in those discussions. So I don't think we're necessarily going to see heavy guidance from the folks that started EOS. They'll certainly participate, but you know, there's individuals that are really looking to the community uh, to really take that conversation forward. And I think that's an opportunity for EOS as a whole. I, I mean the whole community in this statement. 
to be a leader in the blockchain space because other chains have not been able to get uh, the opportunity to pursue things like atomic swaps, you know, other than theoretical discussions. So if EOS was to be able to come out and, and demonstrate a usable interblockchain communication protocol that works at least among EOS-based sister chains, uh, which there's clear advantages to since it's all based on the same open source code, we could really set the foundation of what will eventually become things like the atomic swaps that are discussed on other chains. So that's a really huge way that I think EOS has the potential to differentiate itself from other smart contract enabled um, uh, blockchains. And I really hope that you know, the community can come together and come up with a protocol to kind of set the standard. Uh, so that's one. Um, and of course I mentioned governance. Governance is just near and dear to EOS Metals Heart. Um, that's another element that I didn't highlight from Telos. That's actually why we're excited to participate in them. They have some really interesting perspectives on governance, like they're launching with a uh, wallet, uh, a referendum tool, and um, uh, basically full functionality necessary to operate a referendum uh, and uh, allow the community to change anything that it doesn't agree with uh, from what was launched. So from that perspective, if you look at EOS as not really being launched with all the full capability necessary, like the lack of a referendum tool, at the rate the referendum tool is going on the mainnet, there's even the possibility that Telos will end up having a functioning referendum before the mainnet does. Uh, EOS mainnet, the, the VPs that are involved in that development effort, they've actually delivered. They have a working referendum tool, but it's been delayed several times because of things that they need to get ready for launch. And then, of course, they have to get consensus from the VPs to add that, which they can't even get voter consensus on since there is no referendum tool. So Telos's perspective was, well, let's just launch with a referendum tool so this is never an issue. Let's yeah. launch with a wallet so mm -hmm. there's not a question of what wallet is reliable that you can use. Um, so it's, uh, you know, exciting things uh, that Telos does. On the mainnet, however, we have a personal endeavor which is related to uh, trust bonds. Um, which was a concept Dan Larimer put forward and that several parties have been trying to work with. We're one of the teams uh, that came out with, uh, we have a beta release right now actually on Jungle Testnet um, for where you can issue a bond that can then go to arbitration for the purposes of generating uh, trust. Think of it as like insurance. Like if I were to hire a construction contractor to work on my house, they hopefully are bonded. And by them being bonded through some other body, I would know, okay, they know what they're doing. They've achieved some level of credential in order to qualify for that bond. Therefore, if something goes wrong with my construction project, I can actually make a claim against that bond as, think of it as a form of insurance for me effectively as a consumer. So now apply that same kind of thinking to blockchain uh, if I'm an entity that wants to establish trust, like in our personal case, we're a block producer and we want people to know that we're going to stick to the constitution, we're going to stick to the requirements and the reg producer agreement, so we can actually issue a bond, which is us putting our own EOS on the line uh, into a smart contract where it's held in escrow and we'll say that, you know, we will follow the constitution to the letter of the law, we'll follow our reg producer agreement to the letter of the law, and by the way, also these you know, 10, 15 things that we're gonna list in our own Ricardian contract that we'll put on the blockchain, 
And if we uh, break any one of those three elements, then anybody can make a claim against us and get some of that EOS as a, uh, um, uh, like a reward or a bounty, huh? Yeah, effectively. And, and so that's a way for users to say, okay, hey, EOS metal, they mean business because they put up, you know, several thousand EOS as a bounty to say, Scout's Honor, we're not going to do anything wrong here. And we're here to run a proper network and follow the rules. Um, and hopefully in the future, you can start to see different EPs and almost rank them by, okay, who's actually willing to put their money on the line and, and you know, you know, represent that they're really doing what they claim to be doing. Um, now apply that same scenario to uh, an application, a DAP. You know, if you've got a DAP that's actually transacting EOS and you want to make sure that that developer is not going to run away with your EOS, hopefully that DAP could get a bond initiated to say, hey, if I ever cause you to lose EOS, you can make a claim against this bond. And by the way, this bond is certified by a code reviewer in order for me to even qualify for that bond. So again, it's it's a way of establishing trust for the users. It's a way of establishing um, some kind of uh, remittance and uh, reward if you lose EOS in the situation uh, when that bond's on. Um, those are pretty basic concepts, but the, the beauty of it is this has a potential to expand to a lot more than just simple bonds. It can be, you know, peer-to-peer -peer contracts as well. So, like, let's say um, I'm here for an interview with you and I dedicated to not waste your time at this particular time slot. I can send you, you know, a very simple Ricardian contract on chain and say, hey, Scout's Honor, here's 20 EOS, I'm going to be on time. And if I'm not, uh, you know, you can claim it. Or not on time, uh, you skip out on me. <laughs> <laughs> don't want me owing you money on this one, man. <laughs> uh, it was, sorry, it was an easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good. So, but, you know, you think about it in simplistic terms. You know, this can basically take the place of like an escrow market by that regard. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge idea. It changes it changes social interaction. I mean that that's absolutely that, those are amazing and those are amazing examples. I mean that's fantastic. Well, and let me throw one last one in there. It has the potential to become a new credit market. That's bloody huge. Um, if you think about the ways that this can be applied, you can actually now lend your EOS via a similar smart contract as the bond contract but now it's establishing a credit market. So um, th there's ways that we have to still figure out the logistics of how that's going to work, but growing into the credit market space is where this is eventually heading. And I think that has potential to be huge, especially on chains like Warbly, which is financially driven. So think about it this way too. If you're putting your EOS into a bond, you know, remember, that EOS is a lot more than just a store of value. That represents your CPU and your bandwidth, and potentially also your RAM. So think 10 time now. So if I've got several thousand EOS tied up in a bond for establishing trust, I can also earn interest on that through a similar mechanism like uh, Rex or um, uh, Chintai. While that EOS is just sitting, it's actually generating some income. And now let's say maybe that income is split between the bondholder, so there's an incentive for them to even initiate the bond in the first place, mm -hmm. and maybe part of that goes to uh, the arbiters. 
So one of the big issues that's facing uh, governments on the U.S. right now is how do we even pay for arbitration in order to support these individuals that are making rulings? So if you have a model that's based on bonds and leasing your resources, you could potentially start to now build a pool of funds that can be used for funding arbitration. Yeah. It's really exciting once you start to follow all these points through the entire chain. Yeah, that, that, that is one of the big um, sticking points with the arbitration is where that money to pay them is going to come from and how, how that's decided on. But if it was generated from the system itself uh, and, and not necessarily even with fees, just from interest by right. staking and creating the bond, I mean, because a lot of those bonds won't be called, won't be, there won't be a need for arbitration necessarily. So that pool will be able to grow over time, pay the arbiters. That's, yeah, right. wow, what a fantastic concept. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it also has the potential to establish proxy votes. So, you know, the proxy could be based on, you know, what are the BPs out there that are supporting bond initiatives or governance programs, you know, things like that. Um, it could potentially expand to things like DAC models, where it's actually the community that's deciding how some of these funds are utilized or allocated. Um, it, it has a, a huge potential to grow. Um, I'll throw one more out there that I think is particularly exciting. I was working with a, um, a blockchain innovator that wants to use EOS to help fund third world uh, low income communities for things like getting water to Africa or building schools in rural areas that can't get access to uh, resources. And the way he wanted to fund, he was trying to figure out how do I get blockchain to fund this sort of thing. So now let's take a model like Chintai or what we're doing with bonds on our tungsten project. And now let's look at those resources and say, okay, well, you can either lease your network resources at the market rate and just fund yourself, or you can lease it at a... Uh, economic funding market rate, let's say, or uh, a community project market rate, which is a slightly higher interest rate on those resources, and the difference goes to pay for those community projects to help out the world. And now, as a DAP developer, if I want to lease resources, I can either pay market rate, or I can pay the community-driven rate, which will give a little bit more interest to these world uh, uh, enhancement projects, if you would, and help these communities and help uh, global projects with blockchain. So there's some really cool ideas and models that are coming down the pike that go way beyond just simple, hey, I want to make interest off my EOS. You know, there's some people that are looking at this stuff to do real good with them. Yeah, and that, that streamlines the process for startups and dApps and things like that to donate and give back to the community because a lot of startups, that's Part of their kind of their core tenants is we're going to give back along the way. But if they don't have to set up some big structure to make that happen, if they can do it real passively like that, that I mean, that's that's that'll right. be impressive. Absolutely. And the nice thing is it's an incentive for the DAP because now the DAP can put a badge on their app that says, "Hey, we're supporting XYZ community project, or we're supporting building a school in Haiti." you know, or something like that, mm -hmm. based on them selecting uh, resources that are slightly more expensive, but those funds are going to pay for those things. So they get that special, you know, community partnership badge or something to that yeah. event. And so, then also being able to trans track those transactions through the system and seeing them actually be delivered to that, right. you know, that well or that 
that area where they they're being utilized. So right, yeah. you know, there is a potential in the future that anybody in EOS could potentially have a bond. Like I said, it could be something as simple as, hey, we're having a meeting, so here's my commitment. Mm -hmm. But think about it too. The arbiters should have bonds in case they make a bad ruling. You can go after that arb and say, hey, look, you, you really didn't consider the evidence, so I'm filing a claim, and another arbiter then has to review it. Yeah. Same thing if you've got a, uh, a code reviewer. Let's say that you've got a DAP, and you, know, you had it certified by a code reviewer to say, hey, you don't have any bugs, you're good. Thing gets hacked. You, know, you as the DAP owner can go after the code reviewer for not doing a good job, as well as the community could go after those bonds to say, hey, you misrepresented what was supposed to be certified code. So it creates a whole marketplace. Honestly, you could apply it to almost anything that needs uh, insurance, anything that requires assurances or trust. And that's kind of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's the, I mean, uh, EOS Bet Dice is a, was a kind of an interesting example of how that would work is because EOS Bet Dice would probably put a bond out there like, hey, if you can put your funds here, if we get hacked and you lose your funds, you know, we're, we'll basically, we have this bond to repay you. But then the US Bet Dice may have its own with whoever did the code review before they got hacked. And then so they're kind of shifting some of that responsibility away. Um, yeah, it, it steps into place of like the corporate um, kind of lawsuit. Uh, right. Whatever that's called. But that, that's kind of a self-regulating system. People are very, um, the corporate lawsuits, people are very careful with their disclosures and they're very honest and transparent. I mean, unless they're committing some sort of fraud because they know any little misstep they're on the, they're on the hook. So it's like there's, there's very thorough disclosures and people, you know, people try to try to stay safe from keep from getting sued, but that's, you know, this can kind of take some of those, those places, fill in some of those gaps there as well. That'll, that's, that's great. That's great. Right. Yeah. And it could be for individual application. You know, we could have a bond that's for a global purpose and we can have a smaller bond for something else that's, let's say, riskier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of ways the model can adapt and solve solutions that are otherwise not being taken care of uh, in the world today. And the best part is it's decentralized and self-regulated because it's all about the money you're putting up on the line. Uh, it also takes some of the burden off of the existing arbitration systems and governance. So you brought up EOS Bet. That's a great example because their code is private. And technically, that's not something that would be protected by the DCAF ruling. So you know, now you could have a DAP that could have private code, have that private code reviewed by someone and say, yep, they're honest, they didn't hack anything, and also then establish trust through uh, a bond. So that fills a gap that EOS Bet has today because their code is otherwise proprietary. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard this played out uh, a little bit further even. Um, I think it was talking to Crypto Lions. They talked about a truth bond where right. people are basically uh, putting money up saying that what they say or what they're representing is true and then going as far as to like a funny example is applying that to a politician on their on their you know on their campaign trail as they're making promises you know so um yeah it, it's it's fun to kind of go down that trail on, on the thought experiment with that but uh that, that's going to be huge that, that is going to be huge um, by the way we are in talks with several other bps to partner on this and make it a much larger effort uh crypto lines we're in close conversation with because 
um, we actually started our projects independently and found that our ultimate solution was so similar with you know them coming up with some benefits and us coming up with some benefits that they didn't think of uh, as well. And so we're in close conversation about uh, working together uh, and, and hopefully we'll have some announcements of the, the outcome of that. But um, their project as well, Duru, is what it's called, or Deiru, excuse me. Um, it's one to watch and, and hopefully you'll be seeing something coming from uh, both of us as well as other VPs that are, we're in talks with. So uh, much more to come. Yeah, that's that's great, and it's it's cool to see all the BPs working together and everyone finding their niche and partnering up and, and making things happen. I mean, it's it's moving really quickly. Um, as far as the the inner block com chain communication, I'd like to hit on that a little bit more because um, I want to understand kind of where it's at. Because you said there's this, it needs to be some sort of community effort to get it built. Is there is the theory there? A workable theory there and it just needs to be coded or some stuff need to be still hashed out or has someone started coding it or where's that actually at I'm not aware of anybody who's actually developed code uh, I'll be honest I haven't checked in on the IBC threads on telegram very uh, recently so maybe there's been some efforts that I'm not aware of um, but as far as I know it's all in a similar space as you know governance discussions on uh, the governance channel where lots and lots of talk, lots and lots of theory, and one day we'll see something come of it. Um, so uh, I will share that I had an interesting conversation with uh, one of the developers uh, of EOSIO and where he sees IBC headed. And he was actually the one that really highlighted the need for the community to come together and establish something. Like when you think about the internet, you don't think about all the protocols that run it in the back end that allow all of our devices, computers, uh, server infrastructure, network communications technology, you know, for all those things to seamlessly communicate with each other, uh, they're all running on protocols and established standards. So even though we're talking about a decentralized world, uh, in order for us to truly achieve things like inter-blockchain communications, it's going to take some group that's hopefully community-driven to come together and establish a standard like you might see from IEEE uh, in the case of the internet. We need an equivalent for that to establish, okay, here are the ground rules and here are the protocols for how these different chains can communicate with each other. And once that community effort's been established and you come up with that kind of protocol, uh, then the various uh, blockchain technologies can look at how to then apply it and adapt it. Um, so uh, I think at this point, Again, I, I don't know all the most recent discussions, but as far as I know, everything's just at the ideal phase right now. It's probably even more junior than governance. Okay, okay. Well, it's down the road. We're only, you know, four or five months deep here, so. <laughs> right. I will say I firmly believe it's going to happen on EOS before it happens on any other chains because the fact that you have, uh, you know, open source EOSIO, uh, talking to each other on different side chains, the ease of being able to manage interwatching communications is going to go a lot farther on EOS than it will on other disparate chains. So that's why I think we've got this opportunity in front of us that if the community can come together and put some real focused attention on IBC, we can actually be that community that sets those standards that then other chains would have to then meet if they want to you know, communicate on EOS. 
um, which is the eventual goal. All chains want to be able to communicate with each other at some point. Yeah, and it, th that'll be that'll be another huge thing. I, I can't wait to see what uh, 2019 brings for EOS. You know, it'll be this time next year. It'll be interesting to see how many of these things have been implemented and where we're at. Um, so, uh, what what else is on your roadmap as far as EOS Metal goes at this point? Well, uh, our bond project, which we codenamed Tungsten, has been taking up the, the bulk of our attention, unfortunately. So a lot of our other projects are kind of um, uh, not much that is able to be announced. A lot of things are in discussion. One thing that we've been working on, I'm hoping, is actually going to be announced tomorrow, and that's an effort that's sponsored by a number of PPs related to history data. So um, I can't say too much because there's going to be a formal announcement tomorrow, but there's uh, roughly a dozen VPs that came together and saw a, an individual in the community come up with a really needed and really valuable idea that um, he even tried to pitch it to Block One, but they didn't move forward on it. So a few of the VPs saw what he was doing and said, hey, you know, this is good for the community. We want in and we want to sponsor it. And uh, we've got enough VPs to sponsor it, so we're all going to be participating in funding infrastructure for uh, uh, this history uh, utility that will be available to anyone in the space. Um, so uh, I, I'm hoping that will be announced tomorrow with more details so you can see what it's about. Um, I probably spilled too much already, but that's one effort. Um, well, this won't come out until uh, Thursday, so you're, oh, there you go. So you'll, you'll, you'll be perfect timing, yeah. You've heard all about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, let's see. Uh, we're working on a couple other tools and utilities. We're putting out some really important stuff, and we're putting out some fun stuff, too. Like, we have a little name utility that kind of suggests fun names that are available accounts on EOS. Uh, we're getting ready to integrate that with Scatter. So as soon as you do a little name search, like I can put in um, uh, Daniel, and it'll come up with all the possible word combinations that work with Daniel to come up with a 12-character account name on EOS that's available. And uh, it's kind of just a fun little utility. You get some really interesting names. It's got a bug in it, though, because it gave me a virgin Daniel, and I don't think that was supposed to happen. <laughs> but uh, uh, the... Uh, we're going to integrate that with Scatter, so if you see something you like, you can immediately buy it. Um, we've got some bigger projects that are coming in the future, though, that uh, we're hope, or we hope are going to be more community building. Um, something that we're hoping will become a proxy utility we're particularly excited about, but unfortunately we can't get too far with that until we get at least some production release going of the bond project. Yeah. Well, how, how many developers do you guys have working? It sounds like you're working on a lot of projects. How many developers are on your team? <laughs> well, and that's, and that's why we're not working a lot on a lot simultaneously. Um, we have uh, actually one formal uh, developer that's dedicated to just development. And then some of the founders in their spare time, you know, while we're IT guys, we also have some development experience. And we want to learn uh, how to develop EOSIO just as much as anybody who's interested in this space. So, um, uh, you know, if I'm not marketing or running operations for EOS Metal and I've got bandwidth, I want to be able to, you know, code a front end or design a UX for something so that we can constantly be putting out utilities. Um, it might sound like a small team. Uh, that's quite intentional, I might add. Um, it's unfortunate that some VPs right now, that even in, 
I, I, it always amazes me to hear this, but there are some VPs in the top 21 right now that can't afford their uh, staff salaries um, uh, because of the EOS price. Uh, early on, we we really uh, this is partially why we're self-funded. You know, we we funded out of our own pockets uh, running this VP for uh, all the months leading up to the Internet launch uh, until we became standby VP. The um, uh, we foresaw that we needed to be able to run a lean bootstrapped operation in the event that you know what happens one day if the US price goes down. Well, we still have to be a reliable block producer for mainnet if we can be relied on. So while we might not have uh, millions of dollars in budget ready to go if EOS price is down for a few months, uh, in you know the way we manage that is by running a lean team with experts that do a really solid job with the time they have. So uh, you know as EOS goes up in price and as uh, more projects come along like Telos and Warbly, then we'll be able to add our infrastructure and by the way, part of that too is we recognize we have to be able to add to our infrastructure and our teams to responsibly support all of these teams. So you don't want to, you know, rob from Peter to pay Paul, you know, so to speak. And so we need to make sure that we have the infrastructure and the teams necessary to run all these chains without, uh, you know, sacrificing any other support on another one. And that, again, goes back to our philosophy of being first and foremost a professional IT organization. So right now we're a small team in order to survive, uh, I'll call this the lull of the bear market. Um, uh, and uh, hopefully once we get more developers and what you're seeing us do with one developer is going to uh, multiply quite a bit once we actually get to the staff some more. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you guys are doing great. You guys are doing a lot of great stuff. So producing a lot. So I look forward to see how it scales for you guys here. Um, is any, are you guys planning on being at um, the hackathon in San Francisco coming up? Uh, I personally am. Uh, you know, they they don't encourage uh, VPs to participate in those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm actually going as an individual, and uh, I'm in talks with a few other individuals to uh, form a team. Uh, I'm super excited about it. Will you be there by chance? I will be there. I will be there. Awesome. I'm. A, I'll be a mentor at at it. So I'll be roaming around, hanging out with people. So. Awesome. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm joining up with a couple of developers from uh, Cal ES. Uh huh. They're another uh, block producer. I think they're on Mainnet too, but I know they're on Telos for sure. Um, they're solid guys, really experienced. We all happen to be in California, so it makes it easy. Uh, but uh, and I'll also be out at Oslo for the uh, block producer conference. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I try to make sure, if anything, there's at least one team member from EOS Metal at all the global events that have uh, something to do with EOS. So yeah. keep an eye out for us. We're always happy to talk and uh, yeah, tell people what we're doing. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to being there. Um, and then uh, Monday after we, there's a scaling blockchain conference for anyone listening, if you're going to the hackathon, then um, you get a ticket to the scaling blockchain conference and look at uh, real-world applications, how they're trying to put them on the blockchain. So that's what that conference is about. There'll be a bunch of block producers there, a bunch of uh, EOS people there. So um, I had a link for that in the show notes. Where Where's a good spot for people to find you or EOS Metal or, you know, what's the, what's the best spot for people to talk to you? Uh, well, I'll be at that conference as well. Super cool. looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, we have a community channel on Telegram, uh, EOS Metal Pub. 
and I'll make sure that we uh, uh, get you that link. Okay. Uh, we also have a special channel set up specifically for talking about community bonds. We share administering that channel with uh, Crypto Lions and a few other VPs that are involved in the project. So that channel specifically is meant to be a community project. You know, once we're done with the bond project, it's going to be open source and released to the community to run as a community effort going forward. Uh, so we developed that Telegram channel specifically for people to come and give feedback on where they see bonds going in the future and how to use them and how they can solve problems like uh, this person that came to me about uh, building these uh, global initiative projects based on potentially a credit market. So um, uh, the bond channel would be a great place to participate in that conversation. We're always open to feedback and ideas that will just make this better for everybody at the end of the day. Uh, and then finally, I just encourage you guys to uh, check us out. We have a pretty simple website. It's pretty humble. That's because we're focused on one primary goal, and that's uh, reliable and biased bot production. So, uh, you know, you're welcome to get in touch with us on Telegram, by email. Uh, myself, again, Daniel Azor, I'm on Telegram as much as I can. And I'm sure if you guys spend any time around the governance channels, you've run into Tanish who uh, lives, breathes, and eats governance. <laughs> all the time, yeah. Yeah, so uh, please reach out to us if you have any questions. Uh, we love to interact with the community any chance we get. Yeah, well, I will put the links for um, all of that in the show notes so anyone looking to reach out to Eos Metal. And those, those uh, Telegram channels are so fun. It's, it's Even if you're not a really active participant, it's still fun to go through and see how these thoughts are uh, where they where people come up with them and how they're changed and tweaked and how the communication and the you know the debates go and and it's it's like watching EOS grow right before your eyes. I I, I love some of those channels. It's it's fun to um, be a part of for sure. Yeah, where else can you interact with the founder of the chain? You know, Dan Larimer's right there. Yeah, you can interact with him. So I think that's great, and uh, I agree with you. It really shows. The trajectory of EOS uh, in terms of a community-driven project, which yeah. not a lot of blockchains can claim the same level of community involvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it, it is always fun to see Dan dropping into the channels, and it's just like this this little excitement going on. It's uh, when he's in there throwing his ideas around. So. Um, yeah, very cool. So is there anything that we kind of, uh, on your roadmap, that you'd like to talk about as we start to wrap up here? Um, gosh, uh, I, I think we covered them. Uh, you know, if we do have some ideas about offering some educational programs, uh, I think regardless of the channel or uh, communication avenue out there, it's pretty clear that the entire community is just uh, – ravenous for anything educational related. So uh, we've been in discussions with a few individuals about potentially sponsoring uh, or potentially ourselves even offering some educational opportunities. Um, I myself have even been a, a participant in some other uh, uh, block producer educational events and I thought they were so great that we have to participate in this and add what we can to this space. So hopefully I'll have some announcements on that coming in the coming months. Uh, again, unfortunately, you got to wait till we get a little bit further with uh, the t uh, tungsten uh, production release. Um, and then uh, we are in talks with a few team members that we want to add that I think will bring a lot more uh, to our projects, uh, hopefully specifically in the development space. Um, 
And if you happen to have any Korean, Japanese, Chinese listeners, um, I'm actually going to be going on a trek through uh, Asia in the next month or two to try to get a little bit more exposure to the Chinese community. So if anybody's watching this and has an interest in meeting with us while we're out there, I would absolutely love to do so. We're talking to a couple of other VPs about uh, setting up some meetups potentially in uh, Korea, and we're hoping to also do something in China. So uh, if you guys are listening from that region, uh, please do reach out because we'd love to uh, uh, make sure that the meetup we put out is going to you know, meet the needs of that community. Yeah and making it a global global community. You guys are going for it. I like it. Well, thank you so much for um, for your time and coming on the show, Daniel. It was a, it was a pleasure to get to know more about EOS Metal and your wealth information. So it was it was a blast talking to you about all this. Um, and I feel like I learned more every time I do one of these. I start I'm learning more. I, I love it. Love it. So thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. Great. I'm so glad to hear it was about Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much, and, and thank you to everyone listening. Um, uh, let us know how we can serve you better as a VP. All right. Well, thanks for coming to the EOS podcast, my EOS friends. We'll talk to you later. Bye. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is. Just-